exercises for men and women. He grew up in Atlanta and was assigned here in 2019 after numerous years of studying and working in seminaries in Italy, Spain, Connecticut, and Maryland. He's done a lot in his life, y'all. Okay, so yes, before we get started, let's just have a moment of silence as we pray to our precious Father. <laughs> Our Father, Lord of heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Without further ado, here's Father J.P. <laughs> It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to be here. I bought this clicker specifically for this talk. <laughs> now I can't get it to work. <laughs> it's connected because it turns off the screen, but it doesn't advance. Anyway. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. The problems we face in this world are just overwhelming, overburdening. So, <clears throat> okay. So, obviously, great to be here. Good to see all you guys. Uh, happy Lent. Are you allowed to say Happy Lent? Yeah, happy Lent, great Lent, I don't know, fervent Lent, uh, penitential Lent, a penitential Lent to you, Kevin, you know, thank you, and with your spirit. Uh, so, <laughs> this talk is on these topics, sin, reconciliation, and conversion. Yeah, and the reason we're talking about these topics is because Lent is a special time. It's a very, very special time in the church. I think of Lent as harvest season as a priest, you know? Like, when Lent is coming up, I start to get a little more adrenaline. You know, it's like game time, right? And then, you know, Mardi Gras, right? Everyone's out there partying and getting crazy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so Mardi Gras, I'm just like, all right, ready? On your marks, get set. And then Ash Wednesday comes around and everyone's fasting, and I just know the graces are beginning to pour down on the church. I mean, I've seen it. For 10 years as a priest, nine years, almost 10 years as a priest, I've seen Lent just be a time of grace. There's something special. It's like a certain door is open. A door from heaven to us is open. And so the reason we talk about this is because this is an opportunity for us here at the cathedral, 20s and 30s in the cathedral, to take advantage of and go deeper into the graces that are being offered during this time. Yeah. It's also graces that are kind of like core graces. And the core grace, there's nothing more core than God's mercy. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. So mercy, and then we're going to talk about sin, yeah? And then we're going to talk about confession, right? And that's the outline we're going to follow. So really two parts. One is God's mercy, and then the second one is confession. What is confession? It'll be a little blurb. Uh, it'll be Father JP's view of history in 30 seconds. Uh, ending with what is confession, and then how to be, uh, how to have a good confession. Okay, so far so good. Yeah, at the end there'll be questions for the talk, and then there'll be like table questions. So you're going to become best friends with the people at your table. Um, something to look forward to at the end of the talk, or maybe you can always change tables. You know, at the end. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So God's mercy. Yeah, God's mercy, and. You know, also, honestly, during the talk, if at any moment you're like, wait, that doesn't make any sense, you know, raise your hands and we can talk about it. Right? So you don't have to wait till the very end. The idea is to make this useful. 
So God's mercy, there it is, Catechism of the Catholic Church. Yeah, God's mercy is the core. It's the core of mystery. Um, you know, read that paragraph, and that's what we believe, that's what we teach. A love that is stronger than all infidelities. And the, obviously, being human, we kind of we try to grasp for language to explain God's mercy. Yeah? And God has created us in his image and likeness, so there's also there's something we can actually point to. Yeah? So God loves us more than a father for his son. He loves us more than a mother for her children. He loves us more than a bridegroom for his bride. That's what we believe about God's mercy. Like That's how powerful it is. Often when I think of God's love, I think of it has to be more powerful. It's more powerful than the Big Bang. Big Bang to create the whole world out of nothing in like, you know, point whatever nanoseconds. God's love is stronger than that. Yeah. And God's mercy is when like, imagine the Big Bang is expanding, 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 right? And then all of a sudden it meets you. God's love turns into mercy. So God's love is like, I mean, mercy is like God's love as it crashes into like a huge asteroid, you know, as it crashes into human sin. That's mercy. Yeah? That's what we're going to be talking about, right? So who invented God's mercy? Pope Francis? No. God's mercy is like from the Bible, right? From the Bible it says, you know, I am rich in mercy. Mercy to the thousandth generation. Already he was telling Moses that. And so here's like some Bronze Age dude or some Iron Age dude, right? Going around with like sheep and everything else. And he writes down and God is merciful to the I mean, it's the level of theology and insight and revelation that's happening already from the very origins when we were still going around, you know, worshiping whatever, lightning bolts, right? Already God is revealing to us his mercy. Yeah, so that's God's mercy. Great. I want to start, I want to talk about, uh, identity was my last talk, and so I just figured I'd repeat the last talk. The, uh, you can only understand mercy when you understand sin. Yeah? And you can only really understand sin when you understand uh, the meaning of life. Right? Like, sin as opposed to what, right? Sin as opposed to holiness. Sin as opposed to what we were created for and what we were created to do. Yeah? So I took a bit of liberty and I put a verse from one that was at some moment one of my favorite songs. Yeah, I'm not trying to... Yes, I do endorse some songs of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Now. <laughs> so, <clears throat> why? Yeah, and here's, here's a follow-up one, just in case anyone's scandalized. <laughs> and they're, they're saying something similar, actually, those two right there, right? What's the first one saying? Yeah, the first one is a song. It's actually the song that he wrote um, as, uh, actually, apparently, like, when he proposed to his, his wife, right? So he wrote the song called The Heart to Concentrate. And it's all about a guy who is proposing and he wants to fall in love and he wants to marry this girl. But what's really interesting is that throughout, he's leading up to the final verse, which is this. By, make, by finally falling in love with this woman and loving her not just, it's kind of an erotic song, but not just loving her you know, as a passing love, but actually committing to her, which is what the song is doing. He finally finds himself. That's what this song is about. So we have this sense. It's like, what were we created for? We were created for finding our deepest self. 
and our deepest self is not just something that we find. It's not like my deepest core level of, you know, like authenticity, right? Like, woo! Actually, God created me so that I would find that deepest level of who I really am. Yeah? Now, we don't always see that clearly, right? Because we've been wounded by original sin, so... When we wake up in the morning, it's like, I want to be authentic, you know, like, what do I really want? I just want to stay in bed, right? I mean, obviously, right? We, on a Monday, it's like, raise your hands if you want to go to work for the next five days, right? It's like, well, I don't know, right? Or we see something, it's Lent, right? Like, who loves giving up, you know, sweets on Lent? Or if you started Exodus 90, right? By You're like, why Exodus 90, right? It'd be like Exodus 63, right? <laughs> By day 70, you're like, all right, enough is enough, people, right? So, obviously, there's something that we don't see clearly, and that's why we need Christ to reveal to us that our truest, authentic self is only revealed in Christ. Yeah. That's like the big wow of the Second Vatican Council. Yeah? So much so that JP2 loved to quote God in Spes 22 over and over and over again. Yeah? What does that mean practically? Yeah? What does it mean? It means that our talents, why did we receive talents? Why did we receive intelligence? So that we can make that intelligence a gift for someone else. So that you can make your workplace a little bit more just. Yeah? Why did God give you a sense of humor? So that you can help people make it through the laboriousness of work and the drudgery of living in this world. Yeah? Why did God give you sports talents so that you would play with others? Yeah? Why did God give you a heart so that you would love? And that, like, as you find that deepest reason for the gifts that you've received, to transform your gift, why did God make you love the outdoors so that you would discover Him and so that you would take other people there with you? Etc. Right? Why did God make you great at math? So that you could, I don't know, what do you do when you're great at math? <laughs> Engineering. Oh, yeah. Engineering. So you can crack the stock market. No, so you can technically blow the moon. So you can teach math to little kids. So you can show that there's a rationality in the world. Yeah? And when you discover this, you discover, you know what? All of my gifts were given to me so that I would put them at the service of love. Isn't that awesome? Yeah? God made me so that I would finally be able to make myself a gift to someone else. Yeah. By the way, just a really quick shout out. I'm going to embarrass two people who were here surreptitiously last month talking about how to be a dating couple, and now they're engaged. <laughs> Alex and Madison over there in the back. Neither were going to get engaged, but they still wanted to give the talk, and so they waited. <laughs> but that's what someone discovers. They're like, you know, I finally discovered why God gave me these gifts. So that one day I could meet someone and make myself a gift to that other person. I finally discovered why God gave me two hands. So that one day I would be able to consecrate the Eucharist. Some of you might be thinking about the priesthood. Some of you might be thinking about religious life. That's the same vocation. I finally discovered why God gave me all these gifts so that I could put them at the service of someone else. Yeah. Alright, so that's that's holiness and identity. Alright, this is gonna be this is gonna be really important because when we talk about sin, we want to talk about it from that perspective, right? I mean what, what's a good example for this? It's like imagine Michael Phelps, right? Like visualize Michael Phelps. Yeah? 
there, about to jump into the swimming pool, wearing a Speedo, right? Don't visualize it too much, but I guess, whatever, right? We've all seen him in the Olympics. Like, that man was created to be a fish. You know I mean? He is, he's designed to just, like, beat world records. Yeah, he even has, like, some special joint condition, if I'm not mistaken, right? Where he, like, has a longer stroke than ordinary, you know, homo sapien mortals, right? <laughs> the same way, we have a soul that was created to become a gift for others through love. Yeah, that's the point. All right, so far so good? Clear? Do you need more examples? No, okay, excellent. Imagine Carl Lewis, no, no. imagine Michael Jordan. Okay, we get it, Bob, okay. All right, God's mercy, right, God's mercy. So I'm going to talk about sin for a second and then God's mercy. So sin, here's some descriptions of sin in the catechism. Sin is before all an offense against God, a rupture in communion with him. Sin wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. Sin sets itself against God's love for us and turns our hearts away from him. Yeah, ouch. Ouch, that's sin. Yeah. Sin is what I was created for, but not doing it. Yeah, sin is turning those gifts and those talents. Sin is Michael Phelps like applying for the two hundred yard hurdles, yeah, <laughs> and like failing miserably at it. Sin is us turning those talents and saying, you know, what? I'm not really going to use them to make my life a gift for someone else. I'm going to use it just for myself. Right? Okay, great. So that's it. What about mercy? Let's talk about mercy for a second. So often we think of sin as something simply kind of legalistic. Yeah? Like, kind of Santa Clausish, right? I'm on the naughty list, and then I kind of, I want to be on the nice list, right? Like, like the first one, right? Sin is before all an offense against God. Sometimes it's like, well, can he just not be offended? <laughs> like, can he just not take it personally, right? As if mercy were God, were like a sentimental thing from God. Yeah? As if mercy were on the side of God changing himself. Yeah. And the words that we have for mercy, what are some synonyms for mercy? Yeah, I never know when my questions are rhetorical questions. Uh, in this, like in homilies, right, people just stare at me. But in this case, yeah, what's another synonym for mercy or related word? Forgiveness. All right, forgiveness. Compassion. Grace. Clemency. Clemency. Grace. And pity. Right? Those are like the typical synonyms for mercy, right? When someone's merciful, right? What do all those words have in common? They're all related to feeling somehow. Yeah? In the Latin tradition, mercy comes from what word? Who speaks Spanish? Who speaks Latin? Misericordia. Yeah, misericordia. Very good. And what does misericordia mean? Is it misery of the heart? Yeah, it's like pain of the heart. Yeah? Pain of the heart. It's like an emotional thing, right? Right. In the Jewish tradition, and so and so is pity, right? Pity comes from pietas, it's like a feeling. Um, you know, you feel pity for someone, right? It's like you feel sorry for them, you feel sadness for them. In Hebrew, you know what the word for mercy is? It's up there. Yeah? It sounds really cool. I don't speak Hebrew. Does anyone here speak Hebrew? No? Okay. Well, I think it sounds something like Rahamim, which is really cool. Do you know where the word Rahamim comes from? Torah. Well, it's in the Torah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Is it 
Breath. Nope. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good guess. Ruach is uh, wind or breath. Where does the word rachamim come? By the way, the word rachamim is the word used in the Bible to describe God's mercy. It's really cool. It comes from another organ. Not the heart. Nope, not the lung. It comes from the word rechem. Oh, father. The word... Right, right, rechem. So, uh, the word rechem means womb. It means womb. When God experiences mercy toward us, it's not a movement of the heart. It's a movement of the womb. And what is the characteristic of the womb that no other human organ has? It gives life. It nurtures life. When Christ says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, he's speaking in terms of God's mercy. God's mercy is not something that changes him. It's something that changes you. God's mercy is coming inside of you and birthing you again. That's what it means to experience God's mercy. It's not like, uh, you know, I kind of I cross the line, right? Like, I have an infraction, a legal infraction. And I go and I'm like, Lord, can you please take away my legal infraction? He's like, yes, I will take away your legal infraction. No. Experiencing God's mercy is presenting ourselves, our brokenness to Him, and allowing Him to take us and birth us again. Yeah. That's the understanding of mercy. It's not something that changes in God. It's something that changes in me. He changes me when He mercies me. And why is this all so important? Because when we think of changing, like if you want to change, you know, we live in a very materialistic culture. What, what, what does that even mean? What that means is we look at ourselves and we think of ourselves in terms of material categories. How much we make, how fit we are, how beautiful we are, what we look like, right? It's just, it's the culture that we live in. So we think that to change means what? To change physically or to change jobs or to change where I live or to change uh, who I'm dating, Yeah. And yet, here, God is telling us, you know what really changes you? Your relationship with God. That's what really changes you. That's what God's mercy does. Yeah. God is the one who, with his love, comes and shapes you. Yeah. We need to touch this mercy. Like all of us. 20s and 30s. Priests. Kids. High schoolers, middle schoolers, couples, married, single, religious, priests, everybody. We urgently need, as a race, as a human people, as a country, to experience this mercy. We need to let it touch us and change us and birth us again. Kathleen told me one time she worked for the set of The Living Dead, right? That must have been really cool, maybe, to watch just, you know, all these people, like, right? And then they're, like, having a cup of coffee, and they're like, right? they're having a cup of coffee. Yeah? So, what about us? 
unless a man be born again, he doesn't have the life of Christ inside. Alright? So that's on mercy. Any questions on mercy? No? Rahamim comes from? Womb. Which in Hebrew is? Alright. Does God want to give us this mercy? I think we need to we need to watch out. We need to be attentive to not domesticating God's mercy. Yeah. So here you have three different images from three different gospel scenes. So the first one on the left is the uh, prodigal son, and the whole second part of the song is going to be on the prodigal son as an image for how to go to a good confession. Yeah, how to do a good confession. But so obviously, it is, actually, it's interesting there. You kind of see even in the painting itself this image of the womb, yeah, kind of wrapping itself around the sinner who came. Yeah. You also have there the image on the top. Um, it's not that easy to see, but of Mary Magdalene. Yeah, Mary Magdalene had seven demons. Yeah, I was in Magdala, actually. I was graced to go to Magdala. And I imagine, so when does Mary Magdalene recognize Jesus? After the resurrection, when he says her name, right? And I've always thought, I wonder how Jesus expelled the seven demons from Mary Magdalene. And you know what I imagine? Is that he took her by the head like this. And he looked straight into her eyes. And he kept on saying her name. Mary. 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 And as he said her name, the demons would just leave one by one. Yeah? Not lust. Mary. Not avarice. Mary. Not pride. Mary, not vanity, Mary. And one by one they left, right? You also have a scene here, and this is what I meant about not domesticating God's mercy. That's the gospel from uh, last Sunday, yeah? Jesus overturning the, tack, uh, what do you call it? The, the trading posts, tables, yeah? What's that in Hebrew? I'm just kidding, I have no idea, right? <laughs> oh yeah, where does that come from? No. So, Jesus just overturning the tables, right? And there you have him. He makes a whip. And I mean, I really wish there had been smartphones back there. Yeah? With all my heart. Imagine filming Jesus make a whip out of cords and just like, you know, flipping the tables, knocking over the coins, setting the doves free, like untying the oxen and like, you know, getting them to start walking out or moving out. Yeah, there's something fierce. But what's the point? The point is, there's something fierce about God's mercy. Yeah. When we say that God's mercy is like a womb that births us, it shouldn't be like this sentimental kind of, oh, you know, it's so nice and like soft, right? I guess probably none of us wanted to leave the womb, right? So we all started crying when we left for the first time, right? Like, no! It was so warm in there. So... Right? And it's like kind of nice and, you know, maternal, you know, baby-ish. And that's wonderful. And yeah, it's totally wonderful. Yeah? And it's true. But also, God's mercy is fierce. Yeah? And it's fierce for us. He's fighting for us. He's not fighting against us. He's fighting to set us free. Yeah? Lent is also a time of experiencing the fierceness, the fierceness of God's mercy towards me. Yeah? He takes no prisoners. He dreams of our holiness. Yeah? He created us to be awesome. 
and he keeps on pursuing it. He's like, no, 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 don't play the image game. No, please, no, yeah? No, 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 don't use people. Please, stop, yeah? No, 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 it's, don't worry, it's not about how much you make, trust me, yeah? Oh, don't fall into despair, I have a plan. What you're doing right now is important, yeah? So that's God's mercy, right? That's God's mercy, being fierce. Okay. Uh, spiritual growth. All right, so this is the third part of the second, first part. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes? No. Okay. So the third point of the first part of what is God's mercy. So the, obviously the natural objection is like, all right, well, if God's mercy is so awesome, like, and I've, you know, Father, I've already been in confession, right, at least once, like, why aren't I a saint, right? Like, hello, right? I did what I had to do. All right. God respects our human nature. It's kind of wild. Sometimes I wish he wouldn't respect my human nature. Yeah? I'm like, Lord, all those things I watched as a teenager, like, can you please just, like, control, shift, delete from my memory? You know? All the times I was selfish in college and, like, drank too much and whatever, right? Can you please just, like, just straighten my soul? Just, like, you know? Like an operation table, right? The, uh, or one of you smiling, Mike's smiling because his dad is my chiropractor, right? And so I, I don't know what I did. At some moment, I stretched in bed and I shouldn't have stretched that way or something, right? And long story short, I have a pinched nerve. And so all these muscles are like contracted, right? And I'm just like, can I just go to like a surgeon, you know? And like just shift my vertebrae for like half a millimeter and that's it? It doesn't work that way. You have to go and you have to like, you know, stretch your leg like a chicken thigh, you know? And then you have to wake up every morning and do core exercises and like, ah, you know? Everyone told me to do core exercises when I was a teenager and I didn't listen to them, you know? And I'm like, okay, one, yeah, two, three, four, right? God respects our human nature. He respects our human nature, yeah? He doesn't just go in there and be like, zap, depression, gone. Yeah? He's like, no. You need to learn how to form better habits with your siblings. You need to form better habits with your free time. You need to form better habits with your relationship with your dates, whatever, right? You need to grow in self-confidence. I'm not just gonna zap away your depression like some type of drug or chemical. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah? Spiritual growth. How do I know for certain that God respects our humanity? You know how I finally, I was, I was always struggling with this, right? I'm like, Lord, come on, it can't be that hard, right? Like, just zap me, right? Give me the gift of preaching now, right? Like, by the powers of grace, goal, you know? No. So how do we know that God respects humanity? Because he spent 30 years in Nazareth. Developing his own humanity. Yeah? He was a three-year-old. He was a five-year-old. Etc. He was a teenager, right? He went through that awkward, you know, tween years, right? Where half his friends were, like, way taller and half his friends were way shorter. Yeah? He was still sitting at the little kid table when he wanted to be with the grown-ups. 
he went through all the stages of humanity. Jesus. He respects our humanity. So what does confession do? What does God's mercy do? God's mercy goes and... Here's a little chart if it helps. God's mercy works primarily on our soul and indirectly in the rest of our spiritual organism, if you want to call it that, in the rest of our personhood. Yeah? So you see this chart? I hope it makes sense. The first one's all about Jack. And the second one is our human faculties. And the third one is how grace works in us. Yeah? So, on baptism, Jack becomes the Son of God. Yeah? Maybe it would make more, yeah. It actually makes more sense if you start from the back. Sorry about that. I didn't know. This, by the way, this is the high point of my ability to use PowerPoint. Yeah, right here, this slide, folks. Anything more than this? I need help. So, you know, God, Jack gets up at 5 a.m. Yeah? Why does he get up at 5 a.m.? Because he has the habit of getting up at 5 a.m. Yeah? What's that habit for Jack? He prioritizes prayer. Right? It's his habit. He has a habit of prioritizing prayer. Why does he prioritize prayer? Because there's certain qualities about his mind and his will that have already been formed in a particular way. What are those qualities of Jack's mind and will? That he wants to grow in love for Christ. Why does he want to grow in love for Christ? Because there's something in the very core of his person, his essence, his soul, where it's a response to something. It's a response to God's love. Where did he experience God's love? Well, when... One day he was baptized and he was adopted as a son of God. Okay? When we sin, we the first thing we break is this. Yeah? You can say, Father, I don't break that when I sin. Yeah? I just uh, I just gossiped a little bit. Yeah? I didn't hurt my soul. Right? I was just talking about Jennifer. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's connected. When you talked about Jennifer, you were saying, I want to be the type of person, I'm choosing to be the type of person that gossips about Jennifer. Yeah? It's kind of scary. Every time we sit. Right? It's not like, oh, I saw porn. It's like, no. I chose to be the type of person that looks at porn. Oof. That might change my mind immediately, right? Like, ah, I don't want to be that type of person. Sure. That's great. And so that's why what we do here affects us all the way here. And when we receive God's mercy, He starts at the core and it begins to affect us all the way down here. Does that make sense? Thumbs up? Great. We can talk about any of these later. All right, second part of the talk confession. What is confession? And then we'll talk about how to make a good confession. So here's my story of the world. Are any of you Protestants, by the way? Not Catholics? No evangelicals? Okay. So in marriage prep, uh, we do a lot of, I do a lot of marriage prep. And often there's evangelicals that are marrying Catholics, right? 
And so I have to explain, well, what is the Christ, what is the Catholic understanding of the sacraments? Yeah, so this is how I explain it. Let me know if you like it. I'm always willing to tweak my explanations. So what I say is this. Imagine the history of the world were this, or the history of Christianity were this. God creates the world, you know, I mean, everything comes and goes, right? Dinosaurs come and go, and the Cretaceous comes and goes, and blah, 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 right? God speaks to Abraham. Says, Abraham, walk in my presence, and I'll reveal myself to you. Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldeans, and the history of salvation with the Jews begins, 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 and the prophets, and the kings, and everything else, and the Maccabees, and then all of a sudden, God walks on earth. Right? And he walks among us. First he hides for 30 years. Then he walks among us for three years. And then he dies for our sins. Can I get out? Yeah. It's Lent, so... Uh, and then he dies for our sins. And oh, he resurrects on the third day. Oh, yeah. You know? And then after 40 days, he goes back to heaven. Wouldn't that be the saddest story you ever heard? Because it would be like, curse me 10,000 times, right, that I wasn't born 2,000 years ago, right? Like humanity had one chance to see Jesus. And, he, and, he, and all we have are like smartphones, right? Like, ah, right? I would trade my smartphone for seeing Jesus any day. All right, so that's the version of the story that our Protestant Evangelical, I mean, our Protestant brothers and sisters basically believe, right? What do we believe as Catholics? We believe that Christ ascended into heaven on the 40th day, but remains alive with us in his mystical body, the church. So that when I go into that church over there, I genuflect in the presence of the living God. Christ himself. So that when I go to Mass, I actually sit at table with Jesus. So that when you present your baby, or when you were a baby, or you bowed your head in front of the water, Christ himself was embracing you, and adopting you, and welcoming you into his family. And, when I go to confession, Christ himself is forgiving my sins. Yeah. That's the story. Of salvation. Yeah, so that's what confession is. Confession is Christ continues to walk around forgiving sins. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, I'm sure that if the world knew that, <coughs> I would not be able to stop and have meals. Everybody would want to go to confession. The whole world would want to go to confession. I remember my going to high school. I went to high school here nearby at a non-Catholic high school, and uh, I was one of the few. I was one of the few non-practicing Catholics. Yeah, in high school. And when I started to practice my faith again, everyone kind of looked at me like, "Dude, what? You're so weird. Like, what's what's wrong with you?" Right? And I was like, "I don't know. I just believe this stuff." Anyway, I remember it was a kind of a big party school. And one day, one girl came up to me and she goes. She wasn't baptized. She said, I would give anything to be able to start again. 
and have all my sins washed away. And she was 17. And I thought, that's when I realized I can't sit on this because there's a world out there that desperately wants to touch and experience the forgiveness and the renewal of Christ. Yeah. So, that's what confession is. Alright? St. Faustina has this great quote. Uh, anyway. How to make a good confession. Alright, so those are the five steps to making a good confession. And from, so this is the second part of the talk. It'll be no longer than 20 minutes, so we have at least half an hour to go over the table questions and everything else. Um, so those are the five steps. Right? And what I want to do is to follow those five steps in the parable, according to the parable of the prodigal son. Yeah, so this is an image of the prodigal son. You're going to see several images of the prodigal son. This is an image of the prodigal son where he's actually asking his dad for the share of the inheritance that belongs to him. Yeah, so he's, he's walking away. All right, how to make a good confession. The first thing is to prepare. Yeah, prepare. To make a good confession, you can't just like jump in a confession, right? Like, oh, Father, can I? Right. We all do it. So, prepare. Luke 15, 17. So you know the parable, right? Raise your hands if you don't know the parable of the prodigal son. Okay. So he's alone. He's living with a swine. He lost all his money. Uh, he feels horrible. And the gospel says he came to himself. I love it. Yeah. Some Bible translation says he came to his senses, and the Greek is he came to himself. Sealdon himself. He started asking the question about who am I really? Who am I? I'm not the dude that feeds the swine. I'm not the guy that goes out and parties. Who am I? He starts to ask that question. He came to himself. Kind of that point of like, he goes to your own identity. Christ has created us for holiness. He created us for grace. He created us for purity, for holiness. All right, so he came to himself, right? So the first thing is prepare. How do I make a confession? I have to take time to examine my own conscience. And, and no one likes to do this. And nobody enjoys looking at themselves in the mirror and, you know, looking at all the things you don't like, right? Uh, I can't give a good example right now. Yeah? I burned my nose, right? I was on vacation last week. And I'm like, I should have put more cream on, right? Oh, I'm just staring in the mirror like, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> so, but we all, but obviously more important things, right? We don't like to look at ourselves in the mirror. I also was part of this argument. You know, when you get into an argument with a coworker, and you're like, but they're just so bratty, and they're just so this, and they're just so that, right? And then you're in your room alone, and you're like, what if I'm also the one? Yeah? Kind of, maybe I had something to do with it. Yeah? It's like uh, in, uh, in Pulp Fiction. Yeah? Have you guys seen Pulp Fiction? Am I dating myself? Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, yeah, uh, Samuel Jackson, he, before he kills anyone, he, like, puts the script on him, right? He's like, Ezekiel 29, 17, right? And then towards the end of the movie, Quentin Tarantino, you know, he had a moment of brilliance, I guess, of moral brilliance, few and far between. 
he has him ask himself, what if I am the unrighteous judge? Yeah. What if it's me? And it leads to his conversion. Yeah. And uh, so, it's the same with us, right? Like, well, what if I'm the one that was a jerk? Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's to prepare, right? Examination of conscience. The second aspect of examination of conscience is, or of preparing, is sorrow for sin. And which is not the same as shame for sin, right? We always feel shame, right? Like, why did I do this, right? Sorrow for sin means what I did actually affected someone else. And it actually affected me. And it actually hurt God's plan for my brothers and sisters. Yeah. And I have to say, as a confessor, that ordinarily, we're not good at this. We're not good at this. It's like, I was mean to my sister. Okay. And also, I, you know, uh, ate too much. And also, I spent too much time watching Netflix. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. You were mean to your sister. Have you thought about that? What was the effect in her life? Was she looking for support? Was she looking for a friend? Did your relationship with her, have you been a good sister to her in general? Has, have you built her up? Do you see what I'm saying? You're probably thinking like, Father, you don't know my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a saint compared to my sister. Okay, maybe, right? Maybe. Yeah? I watched impure movies or something. Okay, have you thought about those are real human beings? Someone's daughter, someone's son, someone's brother, someone's sister. You thought about that? You're supporting them? Yeah. You're paying for that whole corrupt human trafficking thing going on in Southern California? Have you thought about that? Oof. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. I drank too much. Yeah. I am. How did you behave when you drank too much? I don't remember, Father. Even worse. Right? <laughs> But my friend told me I said some pretty stupid things. Yeah. All right, well, those stupid things, were they just stupid things, or did you hurt someone? Did you disrespect someone? Right? Like, that's what it means that sorrow for sin. Sorrow for sin is like, wait a second, sin actually is a bad thing. Yeah? It's an ugly thing. And it hurts the people around us. It hurts the people around us that we love the most. Yeah, so that's the first, right? Prepare. Examination of conscience, sorrow for sins. Something that helps, uh, you know, practically is like to make a list, right? How am I going to examine my conscience? Yeah, well, I'm going to look at Game of Thrones and compare their behavior to mine, <laughs> right? Read the Ten Commandments, read the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Those are the two that the Catechism recommends. You can also Google like, you know, uh, what is it? Catholics Come Home Confession Guide, right? Or just Confession Guide, period, right? You'll get tons of resources. I mean, Google basically is this immense ocean of great resources. Um, so that's one. The second one thing, too, is like when you ask yourself what you did and you go to confession frequently, here's another really good question is why? Yeah. Why did I do this? Why? Yeah. Why, why did I choose to be self-centered here? Why did I get defensive when someone corrected me? Why? Yeah. That'll help you get insight into your own soul and into confession. The second step is confess. 
right? So you prepare confession, then you go to confession, and you actually get to say your sins, right? How do we say our sins? So it's the simple disclosure of my sins. That's what it is. Just simple disclosure. Father, I did this, I did this, and I did that. Yeah? Sometimes you might think, well, okay, how much detail should I give, right? So there I put some pro tips, right? Infraspecific versus generic. It really doesn't help to say, um, yeah, I, I just I haven't been a good person. Well, like, duh, right? That's why you're in confession, right? And, hey, I'm also penitent, right? It helps to say, well, I have not been generous with my time, right? I have not been generous at work. I have not been sensitive to my spouse's needs or my girlfriend's needs or my boyfriend's needs. Yeah? I have teased my friends excessively. I have not given time to prayer. Yeah? I have wasted lots of hours on Instagram. Yeah? I think I should just give like general absolution for all my Instagram since it's not good. Okay? Uh, so that's so specific versus generic. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, good. Second tip is if relevant, give the needed context. Right? So, for example, I, you know, it's like the joke, right? Like, Father, I stole some wood. Yeah? Oh, it's okay. We well, just Pray one our father. Well, you know, uh, what did you do with the wood? I stole some wood to build a doghouse. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, okay, you know, pray one our father or whatever. I hope the dog stays warm. Yeah. And next to the doghouse, I built a little garage. Okay, well, you built the garage. Okay, well, maybe pray two our fathers. Well, yeah, I mean, next to the garage, I built a, a house. Yeah. Okay, well, well, next to the house, I built like a fence and, you know, a bridge. It's like, all right, you stole a lot of wood, right? Like, <laughs> there's a context to that, right? Uh, you know, I kicked the soccer ball. Well, that's not a sin. Well, someone was standing on the other side of the soccer ball, yeah? <laughs> so, there's a, like, certain context is necessary, right? But only when needed, right? It should be like, well, I gossiped about my, you know, my coworker, yeah? Because he, okay. I don't need to know the whole story, right? Well, the thing is, he had just come back from vacation, and so the problem was, it's like, okay, you gossiped about your boy, you know? The guy, that's fine. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, too much context distracts from the actual confession. And then avoid justifying yourself, right? Uh, like, Father, I, um, you know, I, whatever, I, I didn't report my hours at work, uh, or I reported more hours than I actually put in, but, you know, that's because the boss is kind of a jerk, and, uh, you know, I feel like he doesn't pay me what he should pay me. And, okay, I mean, some of that context might be relevant, but in a certain sense, it's, I'm kind of justifying myself. Yeah? So, anyway, so don't justify yourself. All right, confession. What helps to confess? One thing that helps to confess is that, like, well, God already knows all my sins. Yeah? Jesus isn't like, oh, wait, no, I, I, I didn't know about that one. He was there when I sinned. He's rejoicing that I'm finally getting all the pus out of my soul. Yeah. Another thing I recommend for confession is start with the really big ones. Start with the ones that are like front of mind. Yeah. Don't, don't save those to the end. I mean, you can say whatever, but it helps a lot, right? Father, I had an abortion. Okay. 
Okay, what else? And just get it all out. Get it all out. Confession is so, so good for us. Yeah. Psychologists talk about the importance of naming our fault, right? If you guys have been a therapist. It's so important to name the thing that's actually on my mind. It's therapeutic. It's interesting also in exorcisms, you guys might know. Apparently, the, I mean, I've never been to an exorcism yet. I've been invited to several, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I work with college students, does that count? Yeah. Uh, so, the, you know, you have to like, this. The, the devil needs to like tell you his name. Yeah? He needs to tell you his name. It's funny, I preached one time at a friend's church in Washington, D.C., in Virginia. And uh, he's he's uh, Anglican, so I preached in Anglican church. I had to get special permission, and etc. 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 Right? And I gave a sermon on the legion, the legion that possesses a guy, and then Jesus says, "What's your name, Legion?" And then they claim their name, right? And then he says, "Legion, leave!" All right, and then anyway, the legion leaves. And so at the end of the service, everybody would come up, and the priest could pray. Or the, the ministers they had like prayer teams, right? And so all these people came up to me, and they just started telling me their sins, right? Like, Father, I've done this, you know, and they were just, like, claiming their sins, right? And I was like, this is just like confession. Like, can I or can't I absolve? Uh, I don't know, I just, uh, do you want to get in trouble with the, with the Diocese of Arlington, of all dioceses, you know? So, uh, so I was just, like, giving a little blessing. Uh, obviously, it's not confession, but almost, right? So basically, it's that. Right? So confession is, when we go to confession... Claim our sin. And you know what? As soon as you say it, it gets deleted. I often imagine it's like I'm writing on a whiteboard, and as I write on a whiteboard, Jesus just like deletes it. And I'm like, I also did this. And he's like, he's like, try me. You know? Like nothing stays on the whiteboard, right? Because his mercy is consuming it. Third, listen. Yeah, listen. So what happens in confession? Confession, you normally give your spiel, right? And then you stop, and then the priest talks. Yeah? Sometimes you wish you would talk less. <laughs> Rarely do you wish you would talk more. <laughs> I remember one time in the seminary, I actually fell asleep while the priest was talking. Yeah? And it was a late, it was a, it was a, it was a night prayer's confession, right? I just leaned my head against the thing. And it did a bit of long day, right? <laughs> and he kept on going, and then he just stopped, and he like, the thing. <laughs> so, yeah. And yet, and yet, the priest is a sign and a symbol of Jesus' mercy. Yeah. And yet. And so, and yet, the Holy Spirit is speaking through the priest. Yeah. And sometimes we do a good job at blocking the Holy Spirit, right? But I would say, normally, the Holy Spirit still gets through somehow. Yeah, and some of like, personally, some of my best spiritual insights have come from priests that I don't even like. Yeah. I shouldn't say I don't like. I mean, I don't like the way they preach. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one. He would always he he would get really anxious, and so that made me anxious. And so when he's preaching, it's like um, and and then, um, and, and then, um, right, and that would just make me nervous, like. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> like, he's about to have a meltdown. So, and yeah, one time he preached this retreat, and it, like, changed my life. So, anyway. 
So the Holy Spirit is at work through the priest. Sometimes you might think, well, like, I, I mean, I know about JP, and I don't want to tell my sins. That's fine. Go to someone else. But just remember that I go to confession with priests that I then see at breakfast. <laughs> so it's like, it, it, but we go to confession with each other, right? So it's not that big of a deal, right? It's like, we're all sinners. You know the one person whose sins I can't absolve? So I can absolve every, every sin, right? You know, and every one. You know the one person I can't absolve? I can't absolve myself. And sometimes I wish I could just look in the mirror and be like, I absolve you of your sins. <laughs> you know, that'd be good for like a mafia movie or something, right? Um, like one of the mafia guys becomes a priest so that then he can, you know, forgive everyone's sins before they do stuff. Um, be a good movie. Be a good, a good movie. Be a good movie. Yeah. Um, so, so, so listening, but that was for the, that's where it was for the confession. Anyway, listening is, the Holy Spirit speaks. Yeah, the Holy Spirit speaks. And the idea of the priest speaking, by the way, is not just to, and of course, you know, when the line is long, he's going to try to, to speak less. Yeah. And when the line is less, he might try to speak longer, right? So now you know if you want to get a large spiel or a small spiel, yeah? No, but the reason is also because part of confession is not just like the absolving of like the spiritual sins. It's also the motivation to change my life, yeah? And the counsel is the sacrament of pardon and peace. Okay, great. So listen. Uh, and then the final thing we do is receive absolution. Yeah? For the son was dead, and is alive. Oh no, there's one more. Just he was lost and is found. Yeah. So it's interesting. Receiving absolution. When does Jesus institute the sacrament of confession? Who knows? Are you Bible buffs out there? It's actually on the screen. Yeah, kind of. That's when he institutes the church. That's pretty good. But the time that Jesus tells the apostles, "You can go and forgive sins," is the first is the day of the resurrection. Yeah? So resurrection and confession are linked. Confession is the sacrament of your personal resurrection. Yeah? That's what it is. It's the new life of Christ that we're all kind of preparing for during Lent. Entering into my soul. Yeah? That's what absolution is. Absolution is the resurrected Christ now dwells with me. I put there the prayer. This is the prayer that the priest prays when he absolves you from your sins. Yeah, there it is. It's that simple. Notice the last phrase. The priest doesn't say, and Jesus absolves you of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just like he doesn't say, take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is Jesus' body, which will be given up for you. Right? You've noticed. That's not what he says. You have noticed, right? <laughs> you have noticed? It's difficult. I know it's like a really long prayer, and you're kneeling and your knees hurt, right? But he says, take this all you need of it. This is my body, right? You know? Father JP just said, my body? What? Same thing happens in confession. He says, I absolve, I say, I absolve you, Tom, of your sins. Yeah. I absolve you. Now, Tommy, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> At that moment, it's Christ speaking directly to me. To you. Yeah. All right, so that's receiving absolution, is accepting that. Yeah? It's being made, it's reflecting on the fact 
that Jesus himself is forgiving my sins. And then the last thing we do in confession, to have a good confession, is we have to fulfill the penance. Yeah? That's uh, uh, Prodigal Son painting by Chagall. Yeah, kind of different from all the rest, just like he was kind of different from all the rest, but also very cool. Uh, and so everyone's partying around, you know, everyone's having, they're dancing and everything else, right? So fulfill the penance, they begin to make merry. Why did I put they begin to make merry? For the penance. Because the penance is supposed to be that first step of reintegrating myself in making a gift of myself for others. If sin was, eh, I don't need it, I'm just going to use this for myself. Yeah. Holiness, the penance, holiness is the opposite, and the penance is the first step towards it. So what could a penance be? A penance could be like, you know, I was a jerk to someone, yeah? I was a jerk to Michael, yeah? It could be, the penance is now, i got to go pray in our Father for Michael. Yeah? I'm, re, I'm undoing what I did with my sin. Yeah? That's what the penance is. That's what penance is supposed to be. Normally, penance is not supposed to be that hard. Yeah? Because it's not like I'm making up for my sin. Right? Like, Jesus already did that on the cross. <laughs> yeah? I mean, if we had to do it, it would be like an infinite, right? It'd be like, we just, I don't know. What's a, I don't know, some game, right? Where when you make a mistake, you like lose 10 points. And if you do it right, you just get one point. And eventually, yeah, you just lose and lose and lose everything, right? I'm sure there's some economic image of that. But whatever, right? So it'd be impossible. Jesus already did that. What we're doing is we're entering into that dynamic. Yeah? And healing in the body of Christ some of the hurt that we did with our sin. Great. And then you have Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm of conversion. Yeah. They say that David wrote this psalm after he cheated on, well, after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he sent Bathsheba's husband to go die in the war. And then Nathan the prophet was like, you messed up big time. David wrote this psalm. Yeah. And in the psalm, it's interesting because he says, Lord, heal me so that I'll be able to go and proclaim your message to others. So also, doing the penance, the fruit of confession is mission. Yeah, the fruit of confession is, now I'm going to go and proclaim God's mercy to others. Just like the woman at the well, just like the guy that had the legion taken out, just like Zacchaeus, just like Matthew tax collector, just like basically everybody in the gospel. Yeah. Confession of mercy leads to mission. Alright, there it is. The two parts, God's mercy... Three ideas, holiness and identity, God's mercy, what is it and what isn't it. Remember Rachamim, Rechem, it's not just an emotional thing. Spiritual growth, God works on us little by little, he respects our humanity. Confession, what is it, it's the personal account with Christ. And how to do it, those are the five steps that lead to a good confession. Great, any questions? I feel like it was a lot of content. Yeah. Do priests really yeah. forget your sins after you leave? <laughs> All except for yours, buddy. <laughs> ouch, ouch. Okay, real question. So now, had... okay, no, real question. Do priests really for, forget your sins? So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, so the, the short answer is yes. And I personally ask for the grace to forget sins. Yeah. So it all kind of is a blur, right? I mean, you go and you hear sins, one, two. I mean, I've heard like thousands and thousands and thousands of confessions. Um, so I don't remember, right? But some, like I remember one time I was in missions in, in a certain country. And I heard something, and I've been in missions in like five countries now. And I heard something, and it really kind of shook me. Because I had, because of what had happened to that person. Right? So I don't even remember her sins, but I remember what they did to her. And it's like, oof. I wish I'd forget them. But ordinarily, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, so the real question, though, yeah. but I appreciate you answering that one, too, is, so um, blessed guys, we believe, you know, in order... To achieve salvation, we do need to go to confession. So then, what about in order? What sorry? In order to achieve salvation. Oh yeah. You know, because that's how we get our sins forgiven. Right. So then, what about our Protestant uh, brethren? What do we believe in? What happened to them? Yeah. Uh, well, that's a huge question. But the short answer is that two things. One is that God offers you the means for your salvation, right? Like God doesn't ever not offer someone the means that they need to achieve salvation, right? Um, Lumen Jensen was very explicit about that, right? So for us, the ordinary means in which Christ forgives us our sins is to go to confession. Yeah? But God doesn't limit himself to the means that he's established. Yeah? And so with a contrite heart, God forgives us our sins. Does that make sense? Is that like hyper super confusing for someone? No, right? Also Muslims or Jews or atheists, right? Like how does God forgive someone? Yeah, I mean it's, the problem is it's hard to make a perfect, it's hard to really bring yourself to sorrow for sins if you haven't tasted God's love. Yeah, it's not impossible and God can make you taste love for your mother and love for your spouse, right? Even if you're a pagan. But when we reflect on the way God has loved us and that he created us good, gratuitously, to go in love, then it's like, wow, it's kind of a no-brainer. Of course I'm sorry that I messed up. Great. Sounds- you, you mentioned that the priest says, I, I absolve you of your sins, and uh, this is my body, yeah. right? So I was thinking, what exactly does it mean? <clears throat> what exactly does it mean that the priest is acting um, in persona Christi, right? So what what would you say to someone who says, uh, well, that's just a quote, yeah. Um, you know, the priest is reco- the priest is kind of bringing to us what Jesus said, right? Merely. And also someone who would say, uh, Jesus is saying, you do this in memory of me, right? Yeah. Maybe I'm forgetting something, but is, is there somewhere where Jesus says, like, I'm doing this to you? or so Yeah, well, Jesus says, he who sees you sees me. Okay. Yeah, and he also says, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he says, as I have sent you, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. So there's kind of this, especially in the Gospel of John, there's definitely a theology of the apostles are going and carrying Christ out. But I mean, that, that's kind of a longer question as well. You know, what would you say to someone that doesn't believe in the sacramental economy? I would say, uh, well, the church has always taught that. 
And it was very clear from the beginning that like only God can forgive sins, but also the apostles are forgiving sins. So what's going on? So it's God forgiving sins through the apostles. Great. Yeah. Uh, one, who's your favorite Red Hot Chili Pepper uh, band? <laughs> uh, to be honest, I don't know their names. I just like their music. <laughs> <laughs> also, Rob, what about the significance of 40? I'm not sure. Yeah, 40, once it appears in the Bible, means completeness. Yeah, and so after it rains, no, it rains for 40 days, 40 nights. The Jews are in the desert for 40 years. Jesus goes to the desert for 40 days. And so in Jewish thought, right, like in Jewish language, so to speak, 40 means complete. And so when Christ goes, he is completely fasting. And when we fast during Lent, we're repeating what Christ did, and we're repeating what the Jewish people did. And so really what we're doing is we're placing ourselves kind of in the school of Israel and in the school of Christ before God so as to achieve the same kind of interior transformation. I do like math, though, but I, I, yeah. Yeah, I didn't major in math, sorry. <laughs> Earlier in the talk, you, uh, you referenced having the sorrow. Yeah. You guys know the difference between contrition and attrition? They both sound pretty similar. So you're right. So the church distinguishes between perfect sorrow for sin, called contrition, and imperfect sorrow for sin. Yeah? What is that like? That's like when you're mean. I know it doesn't happen among you guys. Sorry about it. It's just a good example. When you're mean to your wife, right? Let's say, let's say you're mean to your wife, and then you go to work. Aren't they cute? Look at you in the front. I just think so, so you're meeting your wife, and then at work, you're like, oh man, you know? Uh, I hurt my wife, and she's, yeah, she's not going to cook a nice dinner for me tonight because I know she's angry. And uh, we're just not going to have the same fun we always have, you know? That's imperfect sorrow for sins. Yeah? You're sorry that you offended your wife but because you're not going to get something out of it, right? There's something, somehow the relation, you know, yeah, you're not going to get something out of it. So in the case of God, you know, like hell, hell happens, right? Or maybe he's not going to bless me. I think he's not going to bless me because I stand or sound. It's imperfect reason. Perfect reason is you were mean to your wife, and then at work you're like, what? I mean, I really love her. And what I said and how I said it just really doesn't reflect how I feel. That's perfect contrition. Yeah. So as soon as you get back, you're like, look, I'm really sorry. And you can say I'm sorry for both reasons. You can say I'm sorry, you know, let's just kind of make up and, you know, forget this never happened and let's have some nice dinner. Or you can say, you know, look, I'm really sorry and I love you and let's have a nice dinner. Yeah. Okay. So confession gives you the grace to go from imperfect contrition to perfect contrition. 
So you could approach confession like, hey, I don't want to go to hell. You know, Father, I did this. But the actual grace of the sacrament, believe it or not, is to bring my heart to a place where I'm really sorry, not because I'm going to get hurt or something bad's going to happen, but because I've offended the one person that I really love. Yeah? Great. Table questions. And now for our favorite part of our evening. No, so, these are the questions. So